Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Her Journey Told podcast. On this show, we will focus on strengthening women's mental fitness through sharing the joy, struggle, and wisdom of each woman's journey. Our show is powered by Pivotal Moments. Go to PivotalMoments.org to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Her Journey Told podcast. This podcast is powered by Pivotal Moments Media. I'm your host, Sandy Lutton. And I'm super excited. We're back for part three of Atlas of the Heart. And I've got Beth Shehe here with me. How are you doing, Beth? I'm great. Oh, it's so good to see you. And, uh, you know, I love this book. I'm so excited to talk again. This book has been, um, it's funny when you first approached me with this idea of let's, let's really, let's read this book and break down and kind of dissect it and talk about it. I thought, oh, what it, what an awesome opportunity. But at the same time, I was like, oh no, like I gotta like really read this book, you know, but it has been such an enlightening experience for me and really understanding like your feelings. And it's so interesting. And I'll give a little bit of a background here, just for those who don't know Brene Brown, she is a research professor. She is the pro and the expert in vulnerability and finding strength and vulnerability. She's a five-time number one New York Times bestseller. She has one of the top most viewed uh, TED Talks of all time. And um, she's got a Netflix special. If you haven't seen it, I would check it out. But um, all of her work is just incredible. And it all really ties together. And one of the things that she brings up is that, you know, we're all really, truly unique and how we respond and how we behave to our feelings, right? How I might feel or how I might act and be in anger could be completely different from someone else. And that's what makes us truly unique. And I think the key in her mind is that we, we have to learn to be curious and truly curious about each other's feelings so that you can better understand. And so this book really, Beth, as you and I've talked about before, digs deep into 87 different emotions and experiences. And, you know, we're all like, what? No wonder we're also a little, a little bit whacked out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because we don't even know what's happening in there. Well, I think oftentimes we don't always think of ourselves as emotional human beings. As a matter of fact, I think, and there has been a bit of a stigma. Oh, you're so emotional. You know, it's been a bad thing, but really, I mean, we can't even help it. That's just our makeup. That's who we are. Right. So it, um, it is something that I think really can open your eyes. If you, if you, if you want to sit down and go through this book and really understand it, I, it's so worth the time spent because it does help us to understand our own emotions so that we can better understand others emotions. Right. And then deepen that connection between the two. Yes. It's so true. And, you know, um, I I, I remember Brene talks about in our families, in our relationships, in life, we're often taught to suppress those emotions, to push them down, to hide them. Oh, you're okay. You'll be fine. Chin up, look on the bright side, you know, have a positive attitude, all those things. And so we just kind of suppress it. So, so when it comes to actually getting clear on what's going on sometimes in our internal landscape, we don't even know how, what I think is, is beautiful also is a thing about emotion is when we name it, sometimes we feel like it's going to give it power. So if we talk about specific things that we're dealing with, um, you know, it's 
people are afraid because they think, oh, then I'm just going to feel that way. I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a perfectionist. I'm going to be lonely when we talk about it, but actually it does the opposite. The second we do it, the tension starts to dissipate. We start to feel free. We start to understand that, ah, no wonder, because we're using a sense of curiosity and compassion that simply says, okay, I get it now. Now I can pull back and then I have a choice in making a change. And so I think that's a beautiful thing. So as we've been, um, you know, looking at this. I know we, we've talked for, for through the first six chapters. Um, yes. you know, we've been able to see how some of that loosens as we talk about it more. And for me, Sandy, this book has really been, um, it's, it's been like a workbook because right. I feel like when I read it, I'm able to apply it. And I think, ah, interesting. I mean, I was reading a couple of weeks ago about the shame and guilt piece and I texted a friend right away and said, oh, this isn't guilt at all. It's shame. And I was like elated. And she goes, I've never heard someone so excited to be shameful. (laughs) No, it's because I know now what it is and I can work with it. Right. It's just like anything when you know that knowledge is power and you can work with it. But it gives me, I mean, we've talked about it being like a Bible, a glossary, you know, the terms that we're able to apply. And I think that's the beauty in this book. So it doesn't matter what chapter I'm on, I always seem to be able to get some insight, you know. Oh, I completely agree. And you know, as you are my life coach. And for those of you who are tuning in, maybe for the first time with Beth and I on, on this episode, Beth is a master certified life coach and you won't, um, you won't question it once you've heard this recording, because Beth has so many amazing, great insights that, um, she will share throughout this, but it has, I mean, for me personally going through this, just reading this book has helped me with my own journey, just to better understand where I am. And, I think that that's been really, really powerful. And again, it's more than just dealing with my own stuff. It helps me to deal with others. And as we launch into chapter seven, that's Mm -hmm. what she talks about places we go Mm. when uh, places we go with others. Mm. And she talks about, so the, the, the key words here, the key feelings, experiences are compassion, empathy, pity, sympathy. And it's interesting because if, if, as I say those words, they all sound very similar to me. There are, I mean, they are different, but they also can be very, in a tricky way, very similar. Mm-hmm. So what might sound like, or what might be intended as sympathy, someone could take as pity easily. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think it goes back to Brene's point of, we truly have to be curious and really start to ask others mm-hmm. how they're feeling. But ask ourselves too. And that's one of the things that you've taught me is, you know, I've said this before, so I'm going to say it again, but I, the question I used to hate the most, which I'm, I'm enjoying more and more is how does that make you feel? And I'm like, Oh, I've got to talk about how I feel, but it's so true. Like it's a, it's, it's taking me on a journey to really like hone in. How do I, how does this make me feel? How am I actually feeling right now and putting words to it and putting language to it. And that has been such like, for me, such a big discovery in that. Oh, and you know what? I'm actually not feeling that way. And it's like you said, once you can name it, then you can work with it. You know how to work with it at that point. Yeah, definitely. Well, and you think of this chapter, this is chapter seven, places we go with others. And when you're looking at those key words, I think it's really interesting to think about how we relate to other people and being compassionate towards them, being empathetic, being sympathetic, um, having pity, um, 
creating boundaries. Like all of these are how we relate to other people. And so I think it's interesting. She says um, uh, that it's not just about putting yourself in the other's shoes or about uh, hearing what they have to say, but it's about understanding from their perspective, what it feels like. Right. Um, Because we can't, we can't really fully understand something just because we've gone through it or just because we think we know, or we're a compassionate, kind, empathetic person. We can't really, really understand unless we're looking at it from that perspective. And I think, um, both this, this chapter and, um, maybe even, uh, chapter nine talks a little bit about that concept of connection and disconnection and Mm -hmm. how, when we, assume that we know how someone's feeling just because we've kind of been there or we we see it from our perspective we lose disconnection actually and i think a lot of that is happening in our world now because we're just assuming that we know more than we do and we want to sit with people it's not that we don't have kind hearts or want to be compassionate it's just that when we're not considering their perspective their um upbringing their uh, challenges mm-hmm. we're not the same so right. opening up that conversation to allow for that connection and allow for that better understanding i think is so key and i love how she highlights that in different places throughout these next couple chapters Definitely. It's the backstory as she calls it, uh being curious about the backstory. Yeah. I think that's so important. And, um, you know, just something that we don't always take time to do. And I I think people have the best of intentions when they're trying to show sympathy or, you know, but it's, it's almost like she said, she says, you, you show sympathy and you say, you make comments like, I can't even imagine what you're going through and you're immediately creating space between you and that person. Right. And again, not the intention, but it's exactly what you're doing and how right. you've got to then think about how is that being perceived mm-hmm. and how someone taking that. And, you know, we say, you know, I, you hear it a lot. Oh, people are just overly sensitive these days, but are they, I mean, maybe they're just more in tune to their feelings, right? Right. And, and isn't it true? We also rush to try to fill air when we're in a mm, conversation. So and true. Sometimes, sometimes that's more about our discomfort than theirs. And, um, Brene says that, you know, even working with her, you know, talking with her kids, um, once she got this perspective, she said, you know, she went from giving an answer or trying to fix things to just like sitting in the dark with them. And so, as I told you, I always experiment when I learn these things. So I experimented with my, one of my daughters and I, I, she came home from school and she was all rough and frustrated and had like plethora of things to tell me. And I just sat there and habitually she expected that I was going to say something because I'm a coach, right? That's what I do. Right. And she said, you know, she was like, why aren't you talking? I'm like, no, I'm just with you. I'm with you. And I'm listening. I'm listening. But that is a habit that's tough to break because it's not Mm -hmm. as a parent, I want to be there. I want to be there and fix it. Or when I'm talking to my husband, he wants to fix things or, you know, that's just kind of what we do because we're, we're trying to help the other person. But I think um, when we sit in the dark with others, we're simply just creating space for their discomfort. We're creating space for their voice, for them to sit with it. And for us to say, I'm with you. And that's a lot of what I do. Um, I made the joke about coaching my daughter, but actually as a coach, I do, that's a lot of what I do is just ask the right questions and then sit. I have a a thing on my computer that says, wait, and it stands for why am I talking? 
So when I'm coaching, I'll say, Beth, shut up. This isn't about, you know, your moment right now to educate. It's also, it's about weight. Let them sit in that discomfort enough that they find the words, they find the feeling, they find that emotion. And, um, you know, I found that as something that's really helpful with my relationships in general. Um, and I'm experimenting more and more with it. <laughs> well, I can say, honestly, as someone who has worked with you and you have been my coach, I constantly wait for you to give me the answer and you never, not, never, not never, but you don't give me the answer. You guide me to my own answer. And it's sometimes you just want somebody to tell you what the answer is, but that's not how we learn. Right. And so you got to learn it for yourself and, and be guided there. But you talked about help and she talks about again, intentions and people want to help. And I, I get so frustrated with my own mother, who is someone I always go to. I'm very close with my mom. Anytime I'm going through something good, bad, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, I want to mm -hmm. talk to her about it. I want to share it with her in one way or the other. And inevitably, you know, sometimes I just want to vent and I just want to talk about it and tell her where I am and what I'm going through. And it's almost like she can't help herself. It's like you said, she really wants to help me and so much that she has got to find an answer or a solution. So now all of a sudden she takes on my problem as hers. Mm -hmm. And I keep trying to say to her, you got enough of your own worries. Don't take, right. don't take on my stuff. And by the way, you're not in a position to give me the answer to fix my problem. This is mine to deal with, you know? And she's like, I can't help it. I just want to fix it. And if I talked to my brother about this and he's like, oh, she does the same thing to me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> she can't help herself, but it is something that I think we all need to be more aware of as we, you know, mm -hmm. when you care about someone and you see them going through the pain and you just want to fix it, you want right. to like stop the pain. And I give them ideas, it. brainstorm, you know, okay, yeah. where are we going now? All right. I heard you, but let's go. Right. You right. Know. Right. And, you know, in some ways I love those people who go right into solutions mode. Right. I, I, you know, anytime you've got, especially in a work environment, those are great people to have on your team. Right. Mm -hmm. Who like, okay, I've recognized the problem. Let's, you know, and they jump right into solutions mode and they usually are very creative with their solutions. And, you know, you come up with an answer, but when it comes to your feelings, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about finding the solution. It's really about understanding what you're going through or what, what the other person is going through. Cause if right. we're the ones trying to fix it for them, you know, and, and I, I think we forgot to Brene's, um, you know, in, in her first chapter, when she talks about maps, you know, there's biography and there's, um, there was all these B words. Um, uh, I forget all the words right now off the top of my head. She said biology was biology, one of biography, yeah. demographics, yeah. all the things, mm -hmm. right. But it comes back to how we're all so uniquely interesting and different. And we all bring that to the table. So, you know, one person might be really, really clear on what they're feeling inside and bringing it out, mm -hmm. but not have the expectation that the other person's doing anything. They're just using their voice for the first time. Right. Another person might be so good with their voice that they're voicing it not only for themselves, but for people, you know, like them, which we'll hear about, you know, a story in chapter 10, where there was a woman that did just that we we've got to raise our voice. And then there's people that can't even see through the fog to know their own emotion. So you've got all these people running around in the world at varying levels of understanding, self curiosity, compassion, ability to speak, you know, and uh, on these things, and they're all interacting. 
So, you know, it's like putting a toddler, a teenager and a senior all in the same room and saying, communicate, you know, you can't, you can't expect that of each other. But, but what you said, Sandy earlier, when we know that about each other, we're able to bring grace, we're Mm -hmm. able to bring compassion and curiosity, and we're able to kind of sit with each other in a much more kind and humane way, which creates that connection. You know, that's right. That's right. Fascinating. It just, and something else, something you just said triggered another thought that I had. I was listening to another podcast and I just listened to this gentleman give kind of his story and what an incredible story of like some really challenging childhood and what he went through. And you're just really, you know, just heart wrenching stuff. And you're like, oh my goodness. And how does somebody survive things like that? But then they, they grow to thrive. And, you know, he had a whole spiritual story about how he found spirituality and God and, you know, that changed his life. But he said it was years and years and years before he ever told his story. And someone finally encouraged him, like, you've got a really incredible story. You got to share the story. And he goes, really, why would I share this? He goes, because like he goes back in those days when I was going through all that, he goes, I felt truly alone. And like, mm-hmm. I was the only person actually going through that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so you really think other people would want to hear my story? And of course, everyone's like, of course. And he said, once he finally started telling his story and sharing with other people, he realized he wasn't alone at all. Uh-huh. And so yeah. many other people had had very similar experiences that he had you know, growing up and, 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 you, you know, and he talks about like, what's unique is that everyone's dealt with it in a different way. And they found mm-hmm. themselves at a different place and, and never realizing it never crossed his mind that outside of his immediate family who lived it with him, would other people even want to hear his story or that it might resonate with them and they could relate to it. And I think, again, that's, we do sometimes tend to, and we've talked about this in some of the earlier chapters, like, to kind of isolate ourselves mm-hmm. and think that we are alone. And then I think what I've learned and what you learn is that the more you tell that story, the more power mm-hmm. you gain from right. it and more Absolutely. understanding. Absolutely. And the shared experience, you know, right. all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not alone. And I saw that uh, my husband and I did a lot with couples ministry for years and years. And when we would bring couples into the same room and just encourage small group conversation and they would bring up examples, if there was one brave couple that was willing to share that this is something we're dealing with, another couple would be like, really us too, or, you know, something, you know, th- when these topics come out and people are willing to be a little vulnerable and share, all of a sudden everybody's shoulders drop because you don't think, oh my gosh, I'm just bad at this. Or, you know, you don't carry that. You say, oh, we're all doing, dealing with this. This is normal. Or, you know, we can move on through this. So then it takes this giant issue and brings it smaller to be manageable, you know, and you can figure it out. So, all right. So we've talked a lot about um, how to be there for others, but at the very end of this chapter, she throws in something called boundaries. Yes. yes. <laughs> and boundaries are amazing because she says they're prerequisites for compassion and empathy. Yeah. Like essentially we need, we can't connect unless we're clear. Um, with where we end and where they start another person. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that, Sandy. What, what, what did you think about when you were reading about boundaries? Oh, well, first of all, I 
thought to myself, how many books do I have on the topic of boundaries and creating boundaries and how to hold yourself accountable to your own boundaries. And not only that, but I've, I've had so many other women I've in a, you know, professional networking group of women, every one of them struggle with boundaries and creating those boundaries. And I think a lot of times it's because we are pleasers. We want to help. We're always looking at others. And for me personally, it's, I, I, I've almost found it easier to go along with someone else and what they want and not create that bound than, than to create the boundary, right? It's in my mind, there's almost a bit of a fear around, oh no, what if they don't accept my boundaries or what if they are offended by my boundaries? Um, but it's forgetting, right? As we are concerning ourselves way too often with others, we're forgetting that we're leaving ourselves behind in mm-hmm. the process and not being true to ourselves. So I, and you and I've talked this about, about this as well, <laughs> the, the self-compassion side and being able to find that. Um, so it is definitely something that I personally have struggled with, but it's also something I've seen many, many, many mm-hmm. other people struggle with as well. But I, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but I have learned that there, you know, you can establish those boundaries and hold to them. And I, I've actually learned that most people are very respectful Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Once you communicate it, they want to honor you in that way. Right. right, And so it, it, I've, it's become an easier process for me than I ever thought it could be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's so. interesting just hearing you talk. You talked about sometimes it's just easier to do what they need or what they want right. than to then because what if they don't like and what if and what if what if when we live in the what ifs, that's where we're allowing their business to take over. That's so my right. question to you, Sandy, would be whose business are you in? <laughs> <laughs> right? We're not in their business. What we right. know is what's true for us. And if maybe it's easier in the meantime, but what grows is resentment, bitterness, yes. frustration, um, anger, um, depression. When we start allowing other people to take advantage of us and it's not because they want to, Maybe some do, but it's because we allow them to. And so um, we've got to tell people where we end and where they begin. And then they need to decide how they're going to respond to that. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's up to them. But if we don't show it, you know, I think one of my favorite quotes is this concept around um, the people that benefit from us not having boundaries are those that don't want us to set them. right? Right. Because it's just, why would they want boundaries? And sometimes when we put those boundaries up, they're like, what's your problem? Well, nothing's my problem. That's just where I end. Right. (laughs) How about you? You know, now how are you going to respond to that? And so I think that the whole concept of boundaries is interesting. And Prana even talks about it herself. And she says, um, that she finds that she's able to sit with people and be more compassionate with them um, when she is more authentic and true with her boundaries. Mm. And um, I thought it was cute. She said now that she's realized that she can do that, she's kinder, less judgmental, and she says firmer and more solid. And sometimes salty, she'll say, which I love because I feel that way. Sometimes, you know, I'll I'll think, okay, I just have to be firm and solid with this, with love. And, you know, because we often will think, even when it comes to boundaries, we'll say something like, you know, I can't do that because blah, 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 blah. 
right. or, um, you know, what, cause we want to please the other person. Yes. Um, or no, you know, I can't do that. And then you make up a lie. I have to take my daughter to the doctor. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's the time for an integrity cleanse. Why am I lying? Why do yes. I care what the other, why do, why do I need them to know? Just simply, no, I can't do that. Hey, I'm not available. I, here's a great example for you. Just having grown up in the, you know, corporate world, I can't tell you how many times I've had to reschedule a meeting and my email is like a paragraph long confessing essentially why I have, why it is justified for me to, to reschedule this meeting. And it, it took me many, many years to get to a place of, I'm really sorry. Something's come up. I, I can no longer make this meeting. We'll have to reschedule as opposed to the long paragraph of, and you know, with the reality is no one ever really cared, but I was so concerned. What would they think of me if, you know, and it's like you said, if you don't set those boundaries and you just go along with it, you know, let's say I gave up going to my son's baseball game just because I didn't want people to think poorly of me or that I wasn't a good employee and went to this, you know, went to the meeting instead, I'm just going to be annoyed and angry sitting in the meeting because I am missing out on where I really want to be or where I really feel I should be. Right. And I'm now I'm not doing anyone and I'm not service to anyone at this point. It's just, everyone's at a disservice because they don't have me at my best and I'm angry that I'm there and, and I'm not, at my son's game and I'm not there for him. So there's no win in that Mm -hmm. is what I ultimately had to learn. And, you know, I, yesterday, uh, just to be totally transparent yesterday, I was in a zoom meeting and I liked the people I was with. I wanted to be there too, but I felt a pull that what I needed to do was be with my kids who were just on the other side of the door. Right. And I was like, you know, I really want to be here. So I was like, I'm going to invest about a half hour and then I got to go. I really just need to be with them. So I started to type in the chat. Love you guys. So good to see you. I'll try to stick around more next time. Got to go with my daughter. I'm taking her to the doctor. There you go. <laughs> but I was, just, your... <laughs> I was just about to hit return. And I'm like, you're not taking her to the doctor. Erase that right now. Take that off. Just so I love you guys. I hope to stick around more next time. Period. What is it about me that wanted to do that? So I'm, you know, for anybody that's listening and even for me on a daily basis, you have to, you have to pay attention to what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying to others and why, what's the point? Why does it make me look better if I'm only leaving because of a real legitimate reason? Or I just want to be with my kids. Why is that not as legitimate in that moment? That's what I needed in that, in that space. If I would have said that to anybody, they would have been like, cool, awesome, go no big deal, but I made it a thing. Cause I wanted to look a certain way, right? Like I wanted yes. them to know I would never leave you. Right. And so, you know, we got to show up as a, in that reality with our people. And I think the truth is they probably admired you for it. Right. And saying, Oh man, I wish I would have thought, you know, I wish I would have done that. Right. Yeah. As opposed to how dare her, you know, like as we just right. assume people are going to think so. Right. right. Now, speaking of that kind of a feeling. So the next chapter, she talks about um, places we go when we fall short. So we right. feel guilt like that could have been some place where I'd feel guilt, shame, perfectionism, embarrassment, humiliation. And I love that she throws in my favorite self-compassion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of you when I think self-compassion because you really taught me 
that I needed. I, you really taught me what that was like finding out what it is to me. Um, so yeah, I thought about you when I, when I saw that, but I, I found this to be a really interesting chapter Mm -hmm. because when we, she said, when we fall short, we, we start to think about things like shame and judgment and blame. And I've come to the realization that I actually have a fear of judgment and I'm trying to get to the basis of why that is and what that is and where it comes from, but that's a journey. So I'll get there eventually, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still working on that. But I have really thought a lot about what does that mean to me? Like, why, why does that bother me so much? And I, and I realized it's a misunderstanding. Like I'm more concerned that someone's going to misunderstand me, um, as opposed to just the, the judgment piece of it. And I, I heard this one thing one time was one, it's like really great advice that resonated with me. And, and I think that someone had asked this person, like, what, if you, if you could give any advice, what would you, what would you get? What's the best advice you've ever received is what the question was. And this person said, Oh, that's easy. He said, he said, allowing others to misunderstand you. That's Mm. what true freedom is. And I was like, Oh, well, I could feel it. Like I felt that impact me in such a deep way. And I'm like, yes. Why do I struggle with that so much then? It, and it is true freedom to just let someone misunderstand you. And again, I told you it's a journey for me. I'm working on that, but I have found those moments where someone completely misunderstood what I was saying, what I was thinking. And I was like, it, it's okay. And we actually had a discussion around it. There weren't any, it, it wasn't painful or hurtful. Mm-hmm. It was actually quite freeing. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I was like, wow. And, and I think we do tend to, when we fall short, the judgment is not from everyone else. It's mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. It's from right. ourselves. Right, right, right. And I think that's something that, again, you go, you say, you've said this to me before, you go back to getting in other people's heads, right? And what's that you're in their business. I'm more concerned about, well, what, what must they think about me now? Right. right. I, I've fallen short and now I am, am I shameful? Am I guilty? You know, and I love the fact that she really goes in to explain shame versus guilt Mm -hmm. and shame is something where you feel you're bad. You're a bad person, Mm -hmm. or you feel like you've done where guilt, where, where, um, guilt is more of, I did something bad Mm -hmm. and I don't feel good about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I said, okay, that I, that I understand. Mm -hmm. I think shame is the dangerous one right? When you start to think about those, Mm -hmm. because then you start to think I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm unlovable. I don't belong. Yeah. 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 It's interesting when she talks about shame, she, um, she had those things, you know, we all have shame. It's universal. Mm -hmm. Um, we're all afraid to talk about it. And and what we talked about a minute ago, the less we talk about it, the more control it has over us. And, um, shame hates being spoken, you know, that sentence, there's that one. And then another one that I read in this book that made it feel like all of a sudden shame was coming out of the page. It said, shame needs you to believe you're alone. Oh, right. All of a sudden I felt this demonic presence, like what the heck? You know, I don't want it to, you know, it's like almost a bad 
terrible abusive relationship, right? They want you to believe that you're unlovable and that you aren't worthy and you need to be alone and that, you know, and definitely don't ever speak about this, you know, and it feels um, very tangled. Shame Mm -hmm. feels very tangled, but when we shed light on it and when we open it up and when we, you know, bring it forth for what it is, we begin that process, but it all starts with self-compassion. It all does. Right. Fascinating. I heard another example, another example she gave around the topic of shame was shame versus accountability. And, you know, we've all used this expression. We've all heard it. Oh, I shamed them into doing it. And I think, I think we have to be careful how we say that because she talks about the fact that you know, you feel, you feel you're a bad person and all this, but accountability is really about driving awareness around that. And, you know, as we say, oh, I shamed you, you know, you can say over the years that it took, um, well, I guess the example, cause I was listening to someone else. So the example this gentleman gave was that gay men shamed politicians into changing policy and, you know, people who had been discriminated against shamed them into changing racial policies and stuff like that. But Brene pushed back on that. And she goes, no, that's not shame. That's accountability. Mm -hmm. That's driving awareness around it and getting people to change. And she goes, accountability is very hard. So, and she went back to say, all right, think of social media where it's, um, and we talked about this easy versus hard. It's almost easier to shame someone and call them a bad name. You know, mm-hmm. you're a horrible person. You're this, you're that. Mm-hmm. Then to say, Hey, what you said was hurtful mm-hmm. and you shouldn't say things like that. Right. That's accountability. Right. And I think we tend to bypass accountability because it is difficult. And she actually says in this country, there's a huge shortage of accountability. And I do believe that because, I mean, if you look at that across your, you know, your career, your work, your personal life, it is, it is difficult and it takes work to hold people accountable, Mm -hmm. but it's easy to shame people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. easy to just throw out a name, a bad name, you know, call someone a bad name and move on and just be angry. She goes, but the accountability is what actually changes things. Mm -hmm. So if there's something there that needs to be changed, you have to do the work and hold yourself accountable, hold others accountable to that. And I thought that was so interesting to me. Yes, We do tend to skip. Sometimes it's to skip right over accountability. Yeah. But it is our duty and our responsibility to hold someone accountable if they've, if, if they've made us feel bad or if we've made ourselves feel bad in that way. Yeah, I have, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And, and it all starts with getting clear on your internal yes. landscape, right? Like, what is it about this that makes me know that this is unfair or wrong or, you know, somebody's being bullied, somebody's being humiliated, somebody's using their power, somebody's, um, you know, just plain old making a dumbass decision. Right. (laughs) Right. How do, how do we get clear on that? So we can come forward and say, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. 
and, you know, what do you have to say for it mm-hmm. versus, you know, and, and I think what's so cool about that is that when we get together and have conversation and when we have circled conversation like that, we're able to um, identify it together. The story I'm telling myself is this. So help me understand, right? We're doing it with right. open arms and open hands and we're saying, help me understand it. And so more of that real healthy conversation is what's needed because then the accountability is shared too. It's saying, I see this happening. And maybe if the leader's listening, then you can come up with a, a you know, a, a better way to do it together, right? It's right. not just putting it on them, but, but bringing it to light. Once you're clear here, bring it to light and have good conversation, you know? I love that. That's a really, I'm grateful you brought that up. Yeah. And the other thing around shame was that, um, that really resonated with me is that when you create this culture of shaming people and not holding them accountable, you're not changing anything. So therefore you can't, you're not helping the situation. And then that starts to take you to what the next topic that she brought up was perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So now if you're in that environment of being shamed, you're going to try to be perfect (laughs) so that you don't get shamed. Right. And she talks about how detrimental that is as well. And she, I wanted to read this because I've got the book right here. So I wanted to read this, what she says about perfectionism. Perfectionism tells us that our mistakes and failures are personal defects. So we either avoid trying new things or we barely recover every time we inevitably fall short. Mm -hmm. So again, it goes back to now, if you've been shamed, then you're going to do everything in your power to avoid that. And not only that, but you're seeing, so you're going to try to be perfect. And now you're seeing, if I'm not perfect, then that is a personal defect. And I am Now, guess what? You've gone back to shaming yourself. Mm -hmm. I am not worthy. I am not good enough. And what a vicious cycle that is. And I I think that, um, you know, I, maybe it's the, because I've experienced it before, I keep going back to the corporate environment Uh and you, you almost always hear in every corporation, we want our people to be innovative. We want our people to be creative. However, I think that they want that, but if you've got this environment of perfectionism where you can't, where people don't feel they can fail, Mm -hmm. you're squashing any and all innovation and creativity because they're not going to put themselves out there for the fear of where it's, of what they're going to feel, that shame they're going to feel ultimately. Yeah. And that's something we learn early on because, you know, especially if, you know, one of the things that they talk about um, with fitting in and belonging, which we'll get to in just a second, but the next chapter is, is what your parents think about you, what your parents did. And if you you know are tracking what they think is successful or you're the kind of kid that they want. And oh, did that break my heart when I thought about eighth graders, you know, having that kind of a conversation um, yeah. made me do some internal work myself. But, um, but anyway, um, is it Bethany Frankel that did the Spanx? Is that, is that the name? No. Um... no what's her name? Oh, I just, uh, Blakely, Sarah Blakely. Oh, Sarah Blakely. Right. I don't know who, <laughs> I don't even know who Bethany Frankel is. Sorry, Bethany Frankel, but that's Sarah Blakely. Okay. She did skinny girl. She did okay, skinny that's girl. That's it. That's it. Okay. 
<laughs> so um, Sarah Blakely, I remember her talking about um, when her when she would get home from school, her father would have this whole conversation with her and her brother. And it was like, how'd you fail today? Mm, and she would ask, that. that's, that's the conversation. Tell me about your failures because he saw them as opportunities, mm-hmm. opportunities to pivot, opportunities to be creative, opportunities to just say, I tried and it didn't work. And, yes. and, you know, she, she said, I remember laughing that I didn't make the dance team or laughing that, you know, we would laugh about it because what it did is it broke down the barrier of perfectionism and said, simply go out and try, just go try. And perfectionism creates a space where we don't feel comfortable trying something unless we're very sure that we're going to be good at it. And right. we, and, and it's this perceived isolation that we think if we fail, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I didn't do what I needed to do. So then you've got this expectation. So, you know, in my family, we talk less about perfectionism, more about being awesome. Right. So, right, right. You know, well, how are you awesome today? Or, you know, how do you know, because then it shifts from, you don't have to be perfect, but are you, are you out there living life? Are you being a Shay? Hey, are you showing love? Are you being kind to people? You know, like I literally have, we, we did a board meeting a long time ago and I have this thing that says Shay Hey and all these words that we all came up to together. To me, that's what it is. It's not about perfectionism. It's about living your values. And yeah. so, um, you know, what, whether it's, you know, the conversation around failure and embracing that or living your values, I think that the more that we can do that and get away from this perfectionism, we won't feel this social disconnection of feeling like we need to um, strive to meet the standards of other people, or at least our perception of what that is. Yes. And that is a critical point you just made the perception of what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is me. I'm always like, I'm always like trying to be in someone else's business. I wonder what they're thinking right now. <laughs> All right. I'm watching the clock and I know okay. we got to get rolling. So we got to get moving. Chapter nine. chapter nine was really fun for me. Um, I feel like not only was I able to personally relate to it a whole bunch, mm-hmm. but I also really just felt my heart like, you know, when they say the things that make you make you cry are the things that you're supposed to be, you know, honing in on and doing with your life. This chapter was this for me, helping people to feel connected and belong and um, places we go and we search for connection. It's belonging, fitting in connection, disconnection, insecurity, invisibility, and loneliness. So these are all the things that we feel when we're trying to see where we are in the world and how we relate to other people. So um, I just, I love this chapter. So that I think one of the first quotes in here that I wanted to read because it really resonated with me was you have to belong to we have to belong to ourselves as much as we need to belong to others mm-hmm. and you know again it's we talk about self-compassion and things like that I never thought of it in that way uh-huh. right like accepting yourself for who you are and just feeling yeah. like I was like wow that's so true because And I I think she says, when we do that, we're able to really share our most authentic self. When we accept it ourselves, we can share that, bringing it forth, recognizing that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what anybody else out there feels or thinks about it because we're so, we're so sure of how we feel about it ourselves. And then we're able to feel that belonging because we're showing up in our most authentic self. Yes. You're being true to your integrity, your values. So therefore, when someone else comes along and you're, that you're connected to or collide with in the universe, right? It's, if they're asking you to do something that goes against those, your values, then that's some that that's someone you don't want to belong to, right? You don't want their belonging, um, but you've got to know and be clear about your own, like what's truly important to you. 
in order to be able to identify that. And, you know, let's, let's bring light to the fact though, that there are places and um, customs and religions and families, you know, Mm. that, that knowing who you are and voicing that can also put yourself in danger. Yeah. You know, I think about gangs. I think about bullies. I think about, you know, relationships where, you know, if you go against it and you, you know, go against what's expected that it, you know, it can put you in danger. And so you'll do anything to belong because belonging puts you in the circle. You're not on the fray. Those that, you know, it's the ones that stand out sometimes that, you know, are most ridiculed. It's the ones that stand out and, and stand up against that become, you know, a target. And that's really tricky. And I think about that, especially in our school system, mm. you know, I, f- I feel that, um, or people, you know, with the me too movement, the people that speak out immediately, it's like, you know, every, all eyes are on people. And I, and I feel like this is a really touchy topic because there is a real thin line between knowing who you are and being clear on that and being willing to put the belonging and connection to the side so that you can be authentic to yourself. Yes. And that's tricky. Yes. Well, and she says in here that love and belonging are irreducible needs for all people. So that is the one thing we all have perfectly in common is that we all need that. Yes. And, you know, it's, I had an eye-opening moment a few weeks ago. I heard someone speak and it was the gentleman was Daryl Scott who his um, daughter was Rachel Scott, who was one of the victims from Columbine. And his son, Craig, was also there at school that day. And he tells the story. So since then, they started Rachel's Challenge, which has gotten a lot of publicity and has done a lot of great work in schools doing anti-bullying campaigns and things like that. And he told this one story about a young girl who was in eighth grade and Rachel, or maybe she was a little bit older, maybe ninth grade, but Rachel had um, befriended her in school. And she said that before Rachel became her friend, she truly felt that when she was in school, that people didn't care about her, that she didn't belong to any groups. She didn't think anyone cared how she felt or what she felt Mm -hmm. until she met Rachel. And so Rachel had shown her kind of that love and gave, gave her that, but she basically said that she was so distraught. She was ready to end her life Mm -hmm. and wanted to, you know, was planning it. And -hmm. then she met Rachel and that changed everything for her. And she didn't do that. And she talks today about that experience of knowing Rachel and how special she was as an individual. But I say that I bring that up because to me, it was such an eye-opening moment for me. And you said like you talked about your your children earlier and you had to check yourself. I have an eighth grader who's about to be a ninth grader. And I thought, is this his experience? Mm-hmm. Are me my too, children too. going to school feeling like no one cares about that? Like, I don't know that I ever felt that way. I, I definitely felt that there were individuals who maybe <laughs> cared less right. about how I felt. Right. But you know, this person truly felt isolated and that, that made me really sad. And I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, how can we change that for people? How can we change that experience Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. people? And I think part of it is doing kind of what we're doing now and giving a platform for telling stories and talking about those things. Yeah. But, um, like the whole love and belonging thing, I'm like, that is something that we actually all truly Mm -hmm. need. 
That is the thing that connects us. Yes. Right. It is that commonality. Yeah. And I think it is such, it is such a need that we should, I mean, I'm just going to say out loud, every single person that hears or sees this needs to figure out how they can make people feel loved and belong that they belong every day. Yeah. Every day. I mean, you know, I was at Trader Joe's today and um, a student came through and I said, oh, are you here? Because it's spring break here. And I said, are you here? And, you know, is it spring break? And you're here for the time. He was an international student. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. And I said, and, and I said, oh, are you, you know, not going anywhere? I said, do you have any friends here? And he said, no. He said, I'm by myself this week. And I said, well, is international programs doing anything? You know, you're getting connected. And he said, no. And so I grabbed a, a thing of chocolates and I gave it to him. And I said, listen, there's four in here. There's four more days till break is over. I want you to have one of these a day. And while, while you have it, I want you, I said, they'll last long. They're chewy and they're caramelly. I want you to think that somebody out there knows that you're here and knows that you belong in this world. And he was like, well, thanks odd woman, but, <laughs> but he, I, he put a big smile on his face, which the whole time he had not. And he had a big smile on his face and he said, thank you. And he kind of just walked away. And I thought, gosh, those little things, Sandy, I couldn't let him walk away without, cause I thought I was going to have him over for dinner. And then all my three teenagers were going to be like, mother, what are you doing? Right? Well, but, think you know, about how many people he probably shared that story with and the impact it had even on those people. Yes. And it's, and Brene says these simple words, be here be you belong yeah that comes from us as a verb like you should be you know me beth be here be you belong but it also says be there be there for them and help them know they belong yeah and you know even this weekend i had another example i had my nephew here and we were talking about um young life and he was a leader and he said you know we would have people over for um you know in this big giant room and he said and you know there were lots of cool dudes and you know it was mostly men that he was talking about. They said, we'd have lots of cool dudes and they'd all be, you know, having fun, you know, and he goes, there was, but then there was a lot of really quirky dudes, like quirky dudes. And he said, I just made it my thing that I was not going to talk to all my friends that I already knew really well. I was going to go and I honed in on one person each meeting and I was going to make them feel amazing about themselves. I could compliment their hair. I could compliment their shirt. I could, it didn't matter. But the fact that I sat with them and made them feel amazing, he said, that's, that was my ministry. That's what I wanted to do for other people. And that's what I'm talking about. How can we show up and help people? I mean, I'm getting chills talking about it. This is, this is my soapbox, Sandy. How yeah, I love it. Feel loved. I mean, I have it on my license plate. Be love. It's my company's mantra. Be love because people need it. It is, it is a need. And the more that people feel love, the less they feel isolated, the more they feel connected and the more we're able to make this world go round, you know? And I think it is so important. You know, um, Brene talks about um, Paola Sanchez Valdez and um, she talks about how the second that her friend and she had a really intimate conversation about being an undocumented soul in this world, that a spark was lit and not only were they able to connect together and feel heard but they were able to then make this um group that advocated for others in this way and they created and you know i mean they went to town but boy that spark has to happen yeah until until you give that to someone either be the one to open up or accept what people are sharing with you that spark is still just waiting and i think there's so much power in that so Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. That is so good. And 
So Beth, it's so interesting to me as we start to wrap up here, mm-hmm. one of my takeaways that I'm taking from our discussion is number one, my, I used to hear a lot from my parents. You have to earn your job every day. You show up for work and you earn your job all because you're there does not mean you're earning your job. You know, you have to go in and earn it. You can't just show up and uh, expect a paycheck. So I, I've always kind of accepted that mentality, but I love what you just said and actually show love. Like that's such great advice. Like look for ways to show love. And you actually do a lot of that. And I inevitably will get this random note in my mailbox and I'm like, Oh, it's this lovely little thing. And it's this beautiful note from you that just says thinking about you, or, you know, you are loved or you're special. And it means so much to me to receive that because first of all, you don't get those every day, rarely, right? We rarely like are you, mail. <laughs> are you getting that? But so it's such a treat anyway, but it's also, it's just like, wow, Beth really does care. She stopped to take the time to let me know that she really does care. And you know what? The truth is it's not hard to do that. It does require thought and a little bit of time, mm-hmm. but it's not difficult. And so I love that. So I'm going to challenge my own children and myself to look for ways to do that in the upcoming weeks. Like how, how are we going to show love to other people? So I love that. That's great. And it so, just breaks down the barriers. It, like I said, stimulates energy and it, it helps people feel seen and heard. And when they do, they're able to then, just like you said about that student, you know, if, if he went on and shared that with people, they're able to do it too. And I really do believe that love swells and it's just a beautiful thing. It starts with one small action. So everyone, let's think about turtle steps. One thing that we can do to make someone feel loved, show gratitude, write a note, make dinner for somebody you love, make it weird. I love you. And this is why like be buddy. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And that, that requires us to be vulnerable, but Hey, Brene's (laughs) taught us there's it takes courage and their strength in being vulnerable. So there you go. <laughs> awesome. So we've, we've still got a few more chapters left, which we will cover in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But thank you again, Beth, for always being insightful and just share with us where people can find more of your insights. Yeah, so um, you can visit my website. It's at uh, www.thegroundedcanary.com. I also am on Instagram, Facebook. Follow me if you just want daily inspiration, a little bit of interaction, um, information on some upcoming workshops and things that I have going on. Um, And if people just want to, maybe something stuck to them a little bit and they want to dig a little deeper, um, you know, you just get on my website, push, get started. And uh, we can schedule some time to chat. It would be awesome, but uh, always here and always ready to help you figure out how to be more loving in the world. That's awesome. I have this prediction. I, I, I believe you're going to write a book and you've never told me that you're going to write a book, (laughs) but I do believe that you are. I feel like there is a book in you that's evolving. So you heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing we'll say, I dedicate this to Sandy Lutton. Who Perfect. on uh, March 8th, 2022 said I would write a book. And what an appropriate day, International Women's Day. Yeah. So that's another reason to celebrate. So awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. I look forward to our next discussion. And I think if we do our job right, we'll wrap up the book and, and cover those last few chapters. <laughs> yeah. But it's so such a meaty discussion. It's hard to wrap it, it all up. But um, again, thank you. And you've been listening to the Her Journey podcast powered by Pivotal Moments Media. Thanks and keep listening. 
You've been listening to the Her Journey Told podcast, powered by Pivotal Moments. For more inspirational content, go to pivotalmoments.org. I'm Sandy Lutton. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to keep an eye out for more episodes where podcasts can be heard. See you next time.